Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. So we are on week two of Knowing God's Will, and last week we talked about knowing God's will for the world. And our focus was that God is initially, He takes the initiation in planning and preparing what He's doing, and then He invites us to be a part of that. You guys remember that God is always initiating, creating, and then inviting us to be a part of what God is doing. That's the main theme from last week. And from the beginning, He's been doing it. He's been creating, and He's called us to join Him in cultivating life where there is no life. Right? And we, we are partners with Him. He calls us to govern and reign over the areas of the world that do not know Him. So the principles from last week that I want to highlight is that it is key that we participate with God in His will. It's key that we participate because He seeks us to be partners with Him. Not silent partners. He wants us to be partners with Him doing His work in the, in the world. Secondly, God's will has sovereignty over our will and over the world, which means He's in charge. He's the one who lays out the foundations, lays out the framework, and we participate with Him. And finally, we have a responsibility for the things that God has entrusted to us. We know that God has given us talents and gifts and blessings, which we're going to talk about this morning, and we have a responsibility to be a part of it. So you'll see those principles, those themes throughout the next Four weeks, including this morning, as we focus on what God is doing this morning in God's people. What is God's will in His people and for His people? That's where we're going this morning. And in fact, this message, I'm going to cover so much Scripture. I've never preached this much Scripture in a message before. So uh, I usually don't do that. I like to focus on one main text and kind of go through it. You'll, You'll kind of learn that about me. But this morning, I want to illuminate what God is doing Throughout Scripture, this main idea, this umbrella of what God is doing throughout Scripture. So we're going to jump from Old Testament, New Testament, and look at what God's doing throughout it. So there's going to be a lot of Scripture. If you're following in the YouVersion Bible app, all of those are already there. So you don't have to worry about or stress about uh, how much Scripture we're going to do today. But there is a lot. So hopefully you're excited about God's Word. Are you excited about the Word? God's Word is more powerful than anything that I could ever say. And so uh, we'll be looking at that this morning. So for God uh, to be His people means that we are working in covenant with Jesus, working in covenant with the Lord uh, so that we can see the earth flourish. That's part of God's will for us as His people. So our first text this morning is looking at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We read this text last week, and we're starting there as well. In verse 1, you can follow along up here behind me. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So what is God saying here? What is God doing here? You recognize that He is calling Abram out. Abraham, or Abram's name changes to Abraham later on, so maybe I'll jump back and forth between his names there. But God calls him out. And what, what God is doing here, oftentimes God's purposes in our lives 
is to cause us to move out of our comfort zones, the areas that we're settled in, our complacency, and move us somewhere else. God is not necessarily physically, but spiritually, mentally, He is always calling us on a journey with Him. He's always inviting us to be a part of what He is doing. In fact, for Abraham, he had to step out, and that stepping out was indicative of the beginning of a journey. God is always starting a journey with us. We're never just in a place of stagnation with God. Even if you feel like you're in a dry place or a hard place, you're still moving. You're still on a journey with Jesus. And God is always inviting us to be a part. In fact, the reason He does that is because that demonstrates faith, doesn't it? God's will for us is to follow. Can I say that again? God's will for us is to follow. And He does that without giving us the layout of the destination or what it's going to necessarily be or where we're necessarily going because that's what faith is. God, I don't know where we're going or what we're doing, but I'm following you. And that can be very difficult for some of us who like to plan out everything and have a list of all the things. Uh, and then we write everything down so that we can check it off. And if we've done something and we have, it wasn't on our list, we write it down on our list just so that we can check it off. Right? There's some of us in the room that's like that. Following God and not knowing the destination may be difficult for some, but that's the plan Jesus has for us. His will is for us to follow and allow those things to move us. See, God's will is a following process. It's a journey of faith. And sometimes we think when we're talking about God's will, we want to know God's will for us to take this job, or God's will for us to move, or God's will for us to marry this person or date this person. Those singular events and actions in our life are not solely in and of themselves the will of God. They are a part of the journey. So sometimes, you know, you can say, well, God's will was for me to be in this job, but yet now you don't have that job anymore. Why did God's will change? No, that was just a glimpse of what God's will is for your life because He drops deposits in us every time we take a step of faith and follow Him. It doesn't mean things aren't going to change. It doesn't mean that things are always going to stay the same. We have to recognize His will for us is always on a journey. That's the main part of His will. Not a singular action or event. Those things can be a part of God's will, but that does not define God's will. And in this verse, he promised that Abram would be a great nation. He would bless him and make him famous. See, God's will for Abraham wasn't to simply bless him, but that in blessing him, others would be blessed as well. God's will to bless the world was so notable through Abraham and his family that he reaffirms it to, to Abraham when he's about to sacrifice his son Isaac on the mountain, if you know that story in Genesis 22. And then he doesn't kill Isaac. Spoiler, all right? He doesn't, he doesn't kill his own son. Isaac is alive. It was, it was a test of sorts, okay? You're going to have to go back and read that text. But then Isaac's alive. He, he's going to get married. God tells him, I will bless you to bless the nations. He talks about that in Genesis chapter 26. And then Isaac has a son named Jacob, and God reaffirms the blessing to him in Genesis 28. And as an extension of the people of Abraham, because Abraham is known as, as, as a righteous man because of his faith in God. And we fall under that same righteousness because we have faith in God as well. And so we are a part of 
of that blessing. That God blesses us, not so that we hoard the blessing, but that we use it to bless others. This is part of God's will for us and for our lives. So if you're following along in the YouVersion Bible app, we are looking at three characteristics throughout this, uh, throughout this series of what God is doing. So what is God's role? What is our role corporately as a body of believers? And then what is our individual role uh, in God's will? And so for the first one, looking at God's role, God is the blessing giver. God is the blessing giver. He desired to bless Abram, not for Abram's sake alone, but so that Abram could bless others. Amen? God called Abram out from among his own people, inviting him to join him along in this journey, and then promised blessings to him, not for him to hoard the blessing, but that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. I think, have you ever, ever seen the show Hoarders? You ever seen the TV show? Man, I cannot watch that whole thing through. Can anybody else? Because it's so, it's just nasty. It's heartbreaking. You know, they lift up a bag and there's a dead cat. It's like, what? No, that's not how we should live. Hoarders uh, is a show about people who don't know how to let go of things. They keep everything. Everything uh, they, they see is, is theirs and it becomes vitally important to them. When they start to try to clean things out, something that you would consider trash, they're like, oh, please don't let that go. I might, I might need that plastic bag 10 years from now, right? It becomes this, this illness, this sickness in, in people. And that's, that's indicative of what it is like for believers to hoard the blessing of God. It can make us sick and twisted and become more about us than the blessing flowing through us. It can make us hoarders that just we surround ourselves and the, and the blessing begins to decay in our life because it was never meant to sit, sit still. In fact, spiritually, we can see that in the Dead Sea, right? Do you know of the Dead Sea? It's the most dense body of water in the world. Its salt consistency is so large that you, anybody can float on it. You can go out and just float on it. But there's nothing alive in it whatsoever because there's no outlet in the Dead Sea. There's inlets, water flows into it, but the water can go nowhere else so it becomes stagnant. And all life that should be in the sea is dead because there's nothing flowing through it. And in your life as believers, if you don't recognize that the blessing of God is for you to bless others, then you'll also be stagnant and there will be no life in you. And God can no longer continue to bless you because there's no outlet for the blessing of God to move through your life. We were never meant to hold on to his blessing. We were meant to let go of the blessing. God blessed Abram so that he would be blessed and all the families of the world would be blessed through him. This is the will of God for our lives, that we would not hoard the blessing, that we would release the blessing. And what is that blessing? A lot of times we think of blessing as monetary blessing or blessing that we have a good job or a, a wonderful home. And all of those are uh, good blessings. How many know that a running car is a, a mighty good blessing? Amen. How many know that AC in the summer is a great blessing from the Lord? Amen. But that is not the only end all blessing that God gives us. In fact, he gives us a much greater blessing. That blessing is knowing his son Jesus. That's the greatest blessing of all. That's the life-giving blessing that we have as believers. And we are called not to hoard that blessing, but to give it away to others. How do you say you give it away? 
You share your faith with people. You give your blessing away. The blessing of God in your life is a vital living relationship with our Heavenly Father. That is the biggest and best blessing that you could ever have. And when you begin to give that away, you can experience the joy and the peace and the forgiveness that, and the life that Jesus gives. And when that flows through you, now it births life and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness in other people's lives as well as they walk in relationship with Jesus. We are never supposed to keep that a secret. Amen? Amen. But we do. So often. We don't allow the blessing of knowing Jesus to flow through us. We feel like we don't want to offend people. We don't want to cause a scene. It's not allowed at my workplace. Let me tell you something. Allow the living water of God to flow through you in ways that the Spirit will discern in your life. You think, you think that the Holy Spirit doesn't know how to work around man-made constructions and everything and limitations? No, He can. He knows how to do it very well. And He says, will you just be faithful and allowing the blessing of knowing me to flow through your life? Because there are people that need to know Jesus, and you have the secret. You have the secret sauce. Man, you need to lather it up on some ribs and give it away. I don't know how that works, but uh, it may not be a great picture. But, but we have a blessing of knowing God, and we need to release it. See, from last week, God, if you can recall, He calls us to govern and reign over all the earth, to bring life and blessing to the ground and from the ground. But after the fall, God established His redemption plan by calling a people out to partner with Him to bless the nations. And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus is doing the same things when He's beginning to call the disciples to follow Him. And He did the same thing to you when He called you to follow Him. He calls us out. You can read it in Matthew 4, 18-20, and I'll paraphrase it. But basically, He meets this, these sons, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, which is his brother, and they're fishermen for a living. And he says, come and I'll make you fishers of men. Or I'll help you learn how to catch people, is another translation. I'm going to show you what it means to be a follower. I'll show you how you can change your life. And immediately, says, at once they dropped their nets and followed him. See, as God established his covenant with Abraham in the, in the Old Testament... He established that covenant again through His Son Jesus, that we would be a people, a covenant people that belong to Jesus and are releasing His blessing throughout the world. God was working with Abraham to accomplish His will, and God's provision of blessing was a means to ensure that Abraham's lineage would survive and multiply in order to create a distinct nation of people that would reveal God's revelation and redemption to a world that was dying and lost. And now God chooses us to be a part of that as well. A, great, a, a, a channel of His blessing and His grace that all people would know Jesus. Every tribe, every, every nation, every tongue, every color, every socioeconomic demographic would all know who Jesus is. Here are the points of this section. First, God's will is to work through us a people in covenant relationship with Him, who follow Him by faith to redeem the world. In New Testament terms, that means that His kingdom is to come, His will is to be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. How does he do that? Through us. We, look around, are the kingdom of heaven. We are, you and me. God's not choosing some other people group, some other place, some other location, some other religion to, to carry out his will. We are the, the carriers of God's will. We establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So his desire is for everyone to follow him. So he blesses people with gifts and empowers us in order for his will to be done. And so we have to use discernment to understand what our gifts and abilities are. To bless people. The worst thing that you can do is recognize the gift that you have in your life and let insecurities and inferiorities stop you from using them. Because those gifts were never meant for you. They were meant to bless others through you. And if you say, yeah... I can sing, but I'm not comfortable being in front of people. You have to get over that insecurity because that gift was never meant for you to hoard alone. I mean, we all sound good in the shower, but some of us sound better outside the shower. <laughs> and you have gifts and abilities. It doesn't matter what, if you have a gift of hospitality. You have the gift of encouragement. You have the gift of laying hands on people and seeing them healed and restored. You have the gift of wisdom and discernment. You're never supposed to keep those things secret. God gave those gifts to you so that you could empower the body and that you could release God's kingdom to people who don't know Him so that they could come in and know Jesus. God did that in the, with the people and the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And now He has continued to do it through the church that Jesus, His Son, established. So our role, number two, our role is to believe God and bless others as we trust in Him. Believe God and bless others as we trust in Him. To do that, we have to know what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. What does it mean to be His people? We are in a covenant with God. That's basically what the word is in testament. Testimony is a relationship with God. But we need to know what that means. And know what are the requirements of us being a part of this covenant relationship with God. In Exodus chapter 6, 6 through 8, I'll read this for you. This reveals a part of the covenant that God makes with His people. He says, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I'll be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt or slavery I will bring you out of the land I swore I'll bring you into the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob which are the fathers of the nation and I will give it to you as your own provision I am the Lord This is what God says to us as if you will join in my covenant with you these are the things that I will do But a covenant is a two-way two-way street God says, I will do, we say, we will do. It's not just God doing all the grace and love and forgiveness, all of those things are free, but when we say yes to that, we are stepping into a covenant relationship with God, which means, God, I will do certain things because you have already done all of these things for me. And sometimes we get that really confused in the church. We think, 
I don't have to do anything. God's grace is free. Yes, it is free. His love is free. His salvation is free. But now, when you accept it, you enter into covenant. And this is what Leviticus 26 says. And these are, I'll paraphrase it, the 13 verses, the first 13 verses in Leviticus 26. But basically, God is saying this. Don't make idols of wood and stone. Well, we can say, well, that's easy. I don't, I don't make idols of wood and stone. But what are things in your life that men have created and that you put in priority above God? There are things that we establish in our culture and in our lives that can become idols to us. And God says, don't let anything come between me and you. I have the seat at the top. I am the top priority. Don't have any other idols uh, before me or above me. Then he says, make sure that you keep the day of Sabbath, a day of rest, and reverence the temple. And this is what he says in Leviticus 26. And if you will follow these decrees, God says, then I will send rain, I'll send provision. In fact, you'll grow crops that, that grow so big that when you harvest them, they'll go into the next harvest. You'll have such a blessing. You'll have peace and, and sleep without fear at night, and your enemy will flee from you. And then he says, I will live among you, I will walk among you, I will be your God, and you will be my people. There's this understanding that God is working out His will in the world through us. And we have to be a people that walk in relationship and covenant with Him. There are two things. A relationship, a covenant is our relationship with God. Therefore, we have responsibilities to follow. And what, what is our covenant responsibilities? What are our obligations? Jesus sums it up for us in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He says this, and you probably know it. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes? And a lot of us stop there. But what else does he say? And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the obligation that we hold as a covenant people. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. Is that... That's simple, right? Oh, no, it's not, not very simple. How many of you don't even love your neighbor right now? <laughs> Sitting next to you. Ooh, you better be careful. This is the covenant obligation that we have. If we say yes to the love of Jesus, which is a free gift, His grace, His forgiveness, then we say... God, since you've done this, I will do this. I will love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I will love my neighbor as myself. The way I love myself. I take care of myself. I brush my teeth. I comb my hair. I feed myself. I'll, I'll love people the, that way. I'll take care of them. I'll, I'll minister to them. And a lot of us will say, yeah, you know, I can do that. But we do it to those who love us back. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, how are you any different than the world? Love those who hate you, who persecute you, who are enemies of you, who, who stab you in the back, who lie about you, who, who try to get you in trouble at every turn. Love them like you love yourself. Now it becomes difficult. But that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why the Spirit empowers us to love those who injure us. Those who stab us in the back. A lot of times we like to justify, oh, they lied about me, they said this about me, and we can write them off. That's not what it is to be a covenant people in God. We will say, 
It doesn't matter what you do. I will love you. It doesn't mean that we're doormats and we let people walk all over us, but love is more powerful than revenge. Love is more powerful than writing people off. Love is more powerful and can do more. If you'll say, I don't care what you do, I'm going to love you. It's not easy, but it's covenant. It's our part of the bargain. God says, you can be with me for all eternity. I just want you to love people like you love me and like you take care of yourself. That's what a covenant people is. That's what we do. And a lot of times we think that we, we turn this into an individual ideal. We make it about, well, how do I love so-and-so? And that's good. We need to ask that question. But I put it under the category of what, what is our role? Because you can't love others unless you're in a loving community. We have to practice what it means to love each other. We said this last week that Jesus says, The world will know that you are mine by the way you what? Love each other. Not by the way you love God, but by the way you love each other. Which means we need each other. We have to love each other. We submit to one another. We forgive one another. We forbear or we, we bear each other's burdens together. That's what it means to love one another. We, we have to do it together. We do it as a community. And when we do that as a community, the world sees it and says, I want to be a part of that. How, how is that such genuine love happening with people who don't look the same, who don't act the same, who don't talk the same? How, what's the unifying factor there? And we can tell them it's the love of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus that moves in us as a people. We have to be mindful of how we work, treat, and reflect our covenant obligations horizontally towards our neighbor and vertically to God. A lot of times we wrestle with and we think the only thing that matters is me and God. I don't need church. I don't need people. I just need me and God. No. You're automatically out of covenant with relationship with Jesus because he says you also need to love your neighbor. And you can, you can know people who are nice and kind to people, but they don't have a relationship with God. We have to have both of these things. I am in right relationship with God. I am in right relationship with people. Even those who wrong me. Even those who talk bad about me. Even those who neglect me and try to push me out of their lives. It's not easy. But if we could do it on our own, it would already be done. We need the Holy Spirit to help us walk in covenant relationship. And the next thing that God says as a covenant obligation, is go and make disciples. Jesus gives this command. He says, tell your story. Witness of my love. Pour out, uh, put your faith in tangible actions of love. And this is what King Solomon says in 1 Kings 8, verse 41. It says, in the future. This is when King Solomon is dedicating the temple, but it's an illustration of what God was doing in the Old Testament to show what he's doing in the New Testament. See, Israel established this, this temple for God and, and they had all these rules and you had to be Jewish and you had, and you had to be of the nation and you, had to, you couldn't have all these unceremonial, unclean things happen. But this is what he says uh, when he dedicates the temple. He says, In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you and they will come from distant lands because of your name. And they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And then... When they pray towards this temple, then you will hear from heaven where you live and grant uh, what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of the earth will come to know and fear you, just as your own people Israel do. Later on, the prophet Isaiah writes very close to the same thing in 
in chapter 56, verse 6, it says, And I will bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve Him and love His name, who worship Him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to a holy mountain of Jerusalem, and I will fill them with joy in the house of prayer. And I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for the nations. So the world from the beginning, even in the Old Testament, was to be drawn to the Lord by the relationship His people had with Him and with each other. That's how it was always supposed to be. The relationship of Israel with God was to be a light to the world and a beacon of hope. Isaiah even talks about it in chapter 6, 1 through 3. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as the night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. And all nations will come to your light, and mighty kings will come to see your radiance. And Jesus, fulfilling these prophecies in Isaiah and in others, declares this truth to us, His disciples. See, there's a continuation from Old Testament to New Testament of the same covenant that God is doing from the beginning, saying, I want a people who will show my love and light to a dying world so that the world will know who I am and come to me. And Jesus fulfills this by saying in Matthew chapter 5, He says, You are the light of the world, like a city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God is saying, I have put my light in you so that you can shine it to the world. I have placed my light in you, not so that you can hide the light, not so that you can hide the blessing, but that you can demonstrate it to the world. This is the only time you're going to read in Scripture where it says, let your good deeds be seen before men so that they may what? See the goodness of God and be drawn to Him. Sometimes we get confused about giving and especially giving of funds when we're taking care of the widows and the orphans that Scripture talks about. We try to do it in secret. Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing or vice versa. I don't remember which hand is supposed to be doing what. But Jesus says, you know, don't let that happen. And so we think all the good deeds that we're supposed to be doing in the name of Jesus, we can't let anybody know about. But that's not exactly what Jesus says. In fact, He says, let your good deeds shine before men let your blessing flow before people so that they could be drawn to Jesus. Not so that you can say, hey, I'm just a good person. See, when you do good deeds, but you don't tell people it's because of what Jesus has done in your life, you are stealing God's glory. And God said, I will share my glory with no other. Which means we are not supposed to be a people that are silent and just do good things for good things' sake. Like, oh, I smiled at the barista today and said they looked nice. I'm just blessing them. No, that is a mistake. We are missing it. We are supposed to be joyous and, and allow the power of God to move through us. And when people ask us, why are you this way? We have an answer. It's because of Jesus Christ, the Savior of my soul. It's I have His joy, His life in me. Yes, it's not because I'm a good person or I'm kind and I'm just jolly. It's because of the goodness of Christ and what He's done in your life. Don't steal God's glory, friends. I remember in high school, there was a young lady named J.C. She sat behind me in U.S. history honors. Can I say honors? I, I was smart at one time, I think. 
I think I, I don't know what grade I got. I'm not even going to tell you. But I was in an honors class. And I was in the U.S. history honors. And she sat behind me. And she wrestled a lot with depression and, and anxiety and a lot of these other things. And I always came in, the chipper self that I am. Uh, and I was, um, I'll tell you this too. My dad probably not going to be happy about it. I was voted class clown of my class, 2002. Come on, somebody. <laughs> he, was, he was like, you couldn't get like best dressed or something? And... Uh, <laughs> Most, uh, most uh, likely to succeed. No, class clown. But I always came in with so much joy and because God had, had changed my life. I had radically uh, changed my life. And I remember she said to me once, why are you so happy? What do you have to be so happy about? And the biggest regret of my life is that I did not tell her it was because of Jesus. I said, well, you know, I'm a happy person. You know, what is there to be sad about? Not even recognizing that she had a brother who just killed himself. She was looking for answers, and I failed to give it. Now, does God have grace for me? Yes. But it's a great disappointment for me that I wasn't able to do what God had put me in her life to do, to share the goodness of God. It's because of Jesus that I have hope. It's because of Jesus that this light is in me. It's because of Jesus that I have joy every morning. And we, as, a, as believers in Jesus have a great opportunity to see a dying and broken world and say, it's because of Jesus that I have hope. It's because of Jesus that I have life. And you can have that life too. Come to Jesus. Know Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's because of Jesus. What is God's will for my life? To take the blessing that He has given me in knowing Jesus and share it with others. Love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do we do that? By obeying His commands, knowing Scripture, and tell, doing what He calls us to do, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. My role, number three, is to be a light of God's blessing to the world. We are lights. Not to be hidden, but to be put on a lampstand to shine in the dark places. See, even in the Old Testament, God was telling the people, I want you to be a people, a nation that knows me and invites the foreigner in and allows them to be a well. There was this great commission that God gave the nation of Israel to shine their light so that all nations would be blessed. And in my individual responsibility of being light in the world means that I need to be living in covenant relationship with Jesus and in a cooperative relationship with God's people. I need to be in, in a cooperative relationship with God's people. You. You have to be in cooperative relationship with each other, with me, as we demonstrate the love of God to our community, to our families, to our neighbors. We have to walk in right relationship with each other. What does that mean? It means we don't gossip about each other. It, doesn't mean, it means that we don't backstab each other. It doesn't mean that we're talking behind each other's back about what they did and how bad it was. And then we see them on Sunday and say, Oh, God bless you. So happy to see you this week. That's not walking in cooperative spirit with each other. And the world knows its own. The world says, How are they different than me? They're gossiping with us just as much as anybody else. That's not walking in cooperative relationship with each other. We can't demonstrate our love for the world and for people and for each other when we're doing those things. I walk in right relationship with Jesus. I walk in right relationship with you. 
My words that I speak about you is going to be life and encouragement. It doesn't matter the things that you've done or the things you've messed up or the things you're not doing right right now. I'm going to speak life over you and I pray that you speak life over me and you speak life over each other. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. I don't want to be any part of what he's doing. It's not my responsibility to say, oh, well, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you're not living right, oh, did you see what they did, where they were on Friday night? That's not my role. My role is to say, God says you're chosen. God says you're his son and your daughter. Let's be a part of the family together and believe that the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. Not the outside in. You don't have to look like us. You don't have to dress like us to be a part of us because it's a heart change. Amen? It's a heart change that God is doing. We have to walk in right relationship with each other. And we need to know what our gifts are that the Holy Spirit gives us. God blesses each of us individually to bless each other. And that takes wisdom and discernment and study and prayer to develop those giftings. Spiritual giftings are just like physical giftings. You know, if you want to be good at building things, you have to continue to build things and get better at it. If you want to write music, you have to start somewhere, right? You have to begin to put notes and melodies together. It doesn't just flow out of you and it's a perfect, a perfect uh, masterpiece. It takes work. It takes, it takes study. It takes practice. And in your spiritual life, the gifts that God has given you, you have to put them into practice for God to develop those in you because those gifts are meant for other people. Not for you to hoard, not for you to hide, but for you to develop and steward because we have responsibility for the things that God has given us to be a good steward of releasing those things to the world. Amen? Amen. We are stewards or managers of the gifts that God has given us. We talked about last week that leadership is the joyous acceptance of responsibility. I joyfully accept the responsibility of developing the gifts, the talents, and the things that you've put in my life to see them move. And this is what Isaiah demonstrates. See, the people of Israel, they, they failed in their covenant responsibilities to be a light to the nations because they began to be more concerned with their privilege than what God valued. They were more concerned with saying, we are God's people, we are His chosen, we are a holy nation. And they became so concerned with their privilege that they did not follow what God's value was. They became so self-oriented rather than other-oriented. And they began to neglect the needy and the poor and the marginalized among them because it was about them and not about others. They saw the blessing of God in their life and they said, wow, we must be so special. We must, be a, we, must, we must be a set-apart people that, and no one can touch us. And so they had all these rules and regulations about the foreigner, about the sojourner, people that were coming into the land. They, could, they, they didn't want to be contaminated by them. They were so concerned about being holy that they isolated themselves from the very people they were supposed to reach. And in the church, we have that same struggle today. We are so concerned with our own personal holiness, that we isolate ourselves from the very people that are sick. People that wrestle with things that we don't accept in the church, we say, you got to stay out. You can't be a part of us. When's the last time you went to a hospital sick and they said, oh, you're sick, you can't be a part. You can't come into the hospital. 
I'm sick. I'm dying. My arm has been cut off. Uh, Well, we only allow people that have both arms into the hospital. They don't do that. The hospital is for sick people. What is the church for? Jesus said, I came for the sick, not for the healthy. So why am I going to kick out the sick when this is the very place they need to be in to be transformed? We have to be a people that says, I don't care what you look like, what you're living at. I don't care what you're doing. If you need to know Jesus and be touched by his spirit and be radically transformed, this is the place for you. We want you to be a part. You don't have to look like us, sound like us, live like us. The Holy Spirit will transform you if you open your life to him. If you allow him to do the work, we are just here to say, come on in, be a part. The sick need a hospital. Those who are living in sin need a church. It says, we will welcome you. We love you. Our, our love for you is greater than the fear of contamination. That's powerful. Doesn't mean that we should not walk in holiness or righteousness. No. But it does mean that we reach out to those who need Jesus without fear of being contaminated. And the people of Israel wrestled with that. And this is what Isaiah 58, 6-12 says this when he's talking to Israel. He says, The kind of fasting I want, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah, free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Remove the chains that bind people. Verse 7, Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. That's the most powerful verse, I think, right there. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. We were talking, my wife and I, the other day, and she said, I really wish Jesus would have said, the world will know that you belong to me by the way you love your relatives. (laughs) Because it's easier to love the stranger than it is to love the spouse who annoys you every day. It's easier to put a a good smile on and your best foot forward for the eight hours at work than it is to come home and have the house messy and the kids are running amok and you're like, oh, y'all are fools. Get out of my face. But how we love those closest to us demonstrates something as well. And the Lord knew that. That's why he wrote in this in Isaiah. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Man, it's real easy when that cousin comes along and says, Hey, man, could you help me move? Yeah, what day? I think I'm busy. What day is it? (laughs) Relatives. Do not hide. I mean, I could preach on that right now. Don't hide from relatives that need your help. The Lord knew it. The Lord knew where we would be at as a society today because our relatives are the hardest people to love sometimes. But not my relatives who are in in the house this morning. I love you. I'll never hide from you. And everybody said amen. (laughs) Then he says this, if you'll do these things, especially if you won't hide from your relatives, he says this in verse 8, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will, will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, here I am. He will quickly reply. So remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. 
Feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. And the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. We need that, don't we? We get so dry in our time, in our culture, in our society. We feel like we're running out. We feel like we're burning a candle at both ends. We need His strength. How do we receive it? By doing what He says here. Loving. Loving people. You will be like a well-watered garden and even an ever-flowing spring. Verse 12. So you will rebuild, some of you will rebuild the desert, deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. So you and I, we are carriers of God's blessing. We are carriers of God's blessing. And we are called to shine and to go. It says the light in us will draw nations to us. And in Matthew 18, Jesus gives this, or Matthew 28, Jesus gives this command. He says, I have given you all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He has given us, church, all authority and power on heaven and in earth to do what? Not to hoard it for ourselves. Not to say, look at me, look what I can do. Look at the spiritual gifts I have. But so that we would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them the words of Jesus. And in this passage, he doesn't give an exemption. He says, if you're my disciple, or you're my follower, you have an obligation. To make disciples. I don't care if it's uncomfortable for you. I have spilled my blood for you. I have redeemed you back. Into right relationship with the Father. Now go and make disciples. What does that mean? Go and tell your story. Go and let people know. Of the goodness of what Jesus has done for you. Be bold. Be courageous. Why? Because he says I will be with you. Always. Even to the end of the age. You're not alone in sharing your testimony or your story of what God has done in your life. And you're not weak and powerless either. Because he says, I have given you all authority on earth and in heaven. Therefore, go. You don't go in your own power. You don't go with your own understanding. You go in the authority of Jesus that he has given us to share the light of Christ. Amen? When we received Jesus, when we stepped in relationship, covenant relationship with Jesus, we have been blessed far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And we need to walk in that.